Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1049 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening. And today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. Check out prizepix.com. Use the promo code MBA or go to the App Store, download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. And today's podcast with myself and Glenn Willis talking about some more player capsules, breaking down DeLon Wright and Lou Williams on today's show. Uh, we're plugging through these. Glenn's been kind enough to join me for all of these so far, talking about all kinds of different players on the roster and uh, getting into some real depth on the key pieces of the Hawks. In addition, in recent days, I was joined by Kevin Chenard last week for sort of a State of the Hawks kind of discussion for about an hour. Kevin is very smart on the State of the Hawks, as always. Andrew Kelly's been on the show recently as well with some NBA draft coverage, as well as some fake trades and some free agency stuff. Uh, I've had wall-to-wall coverage already on the on the draft, and there's more to come. In fact, I've already recorded podcasts with both, with both, both Ricky O'Donnell and Ben Pfeiffer. They'll be going up in the near future. And uh, that's always uh, fun to talk to those guys about the NBA draft. And the draft is now looming as June is basically here as I record this. So plenty to get into. In terms of actual news in the last few days, I've been traveling and it's really been a sort of a hectic two-week period last week and then this coming week for me. So my apologies on sort of the pre-recorded elements of these podcasts, but not a whole lot going on for the Hawks other than draft workouts. And of course, the uh, the rumor mill is not really, not really churning just yet, more of the online uh, uh, fake trade rumor mill as always, but... The Hawks have been still doing those pre-draft workouts. I will always stress the guys coming in for workouts don't really mean anything in terms of uh, who they're going to be wanting to draft or who they're actually interested in. But there have been some pretty interesting names coming through Atlanta in recent days. Malachi Branham of Ohio State, Kendall Brown of Baylor, Bryce McGowan of Nebraska, Josh Minot of Memphis, and others coming already this week. Already had Tari Eason last week and Jalen Williams earlier in May. Um, Marjan Bochamp came in today, actually on Tuesday. So plenty of guys that are interesting. First-round candidates, top 30-ish guys for a lot of different people. And that'll be discussed more in the coming days as well. At any rate, today's show, once again, is myself and Glenn talking about DeLon Wright and Lou Williams. You'll hear the intro, and I'll be back with Glenn Willis. And please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend about the show. We'll be right back with the full podcast talking about the two backup point guards for this year's team. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I am joined again today by my friend Glenn Willis to talk about some players on the Hawks roster. This player capsule series is ongoing. Glenn's been gracious enough to join me for a lot of these so far. And Glenn, welcome back to discuss some uh, some veteran point guards on this episode. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Enjoying a, a nice, uh, rare, sunny day out here in the Seattle area. Um, so looking forward to getting outside some today, but uh, really looking forward to this conversation here. Yeah, it should be fun. This is not the sexiest one. Obviously, we'll we'll discuss on this podcast. We already have done more high-profile players from John Collins to DeAndre Hunter, etc. This is going to be the backup point guards, so not Trey Young. We'll save Trey Young for later uh, on this episode. But uh, Lou Williams uh, will be brief, probably, on some level, because he's probably going to retire or at least be something somewhere else after this season. And then we'll get into DeLon Wright in a moment, who, of course, is a personal favorite of mine, famously. And I know you enjoy DeLon's work quite a bit as well. Um Let's start with Lou, though, just to kind of knock this out. Obviously, it was a weird season in that Lou came back. Uh, I think coming into last offseason, we talked about this even behind the scenes. Like, I thought Lou might retire a year ago, and pretty much the only place that I thought he might play was Atlanta. And you know, ended up coming back to Atlanta. Uh, he was, for the most for most of the season, was the backup point guard. Uh, you know, kind of famously, there was this discussion uh, about Lou versus DeLon in some respects and how DeLon was kind of in and out of rotation. 
Lou ended up kind of falling out of the rotation at the end of the season. Uh, and, you know, there was an injury there, but also I'm not sure if they were in a, in a rush to bring him back. There was kind of this weird uh, dynamic there as well. But overall, I think it's fair to say Lou was not particularly effective for the most part. I will say, so I don't forget to do this, he was actually pretty good in January. Uh, he had a very nice, like, two-week stretch after he came back from a long absence. I'm not sure if he just had more juice, more energy, or what. But he was actually pretty good in January. But the rest of the season, it was not for, not particularly great. Uh, career worst numbers almost across the board, field goal percentage, true shooting, two-point percentage, uh, assists per game. All of those numbers were way, way down. Part of that's just playing time, but also he just wasn't particularly effective. So uh, I'll open it up to you. What do you make of Lou? And obviously, I think it's going to be the end of the line either for Lou in Atlanta or Lou uh, overall in the NBA. But, uh, you know, I guess moving forward, we can sort of touch on that as well. Yeah, I mean – a good veteran to have around, especially like when I guess Solo had to go out in that in that trade to kind of make that work and and all that sort of stuff. But um, it uh it, it uh did Solo go out of the trade or he got out from no, Solo? No, he was he was in the cam trade. Yeah, they had okay. they, well, I'm not sure they had to, but they wanted to create the roster spot because right. Solo was out for the season and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. yeah, thanks for thanks for clarifying that. I was like, go. wait a minute, what is the history over here? Um, yes. but yeah, that left a kind of an absence. Uh, that was important, seemed important the prior season to have kind of that veteran presence there towards the kind of the end of the rotation and, and, and maybe for solo, not always in the rotation. Um, but, but I mean, I just think he's a guy that's not going to give you, you know, something like 75, 80 games of backup point guard anymore. It's just not, no. it's just not possible. He's not capable of that. I even thought coming into the season that, um, you know, he might be a guy that plays, uh, you know, two games a week and kind of that that's about it that they need to have a and I thought Delon's presence coming in kind of made some sense from that standpoint and then we'll talk more about Delon but it, you know I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if some team is willing to give Lou five million dollars again to come in and be on the very end of their bench and just kind of be that veteran presence you could kind of see that making some sense but I mean I know how many times like in the P3 Hoops Slack channel we've complained about why is Lou on with Trey in the game in the third quarter, yeah. when they're down by 12 points or whatever, <laughs> right? It's like, how is that supposed to work defensively um, and such? So, I mean, you know, it, what a career, you know, if this is sure. the end, what, what yeah. a career. Um, I've, I've always liked the phrase, um, it just seems like since high school, you know, uh, which you were, you had a, an up close view of a, a good bit of that, but it's just like a, a preternatural score. You just get out of bed in the morning knowing how to score the basketball. If there's one thing, if this is the end with the Hawks, that I'm going to take away from this, there's maybe a fair focus is when when they were trying to integrate a Kongwu and get a Kongwu kind of NBA ready, rotation ready, pairing him with a really experienced pick and roll point guard was really helpful yep. there. If you paired him with a young point guard that didn't have all of those reps, you're right. And it's, it's a bit of a parallel to when the Hawks traded for Capella, I felt like one of the under appreciated reasons why Travis Schlenk would have interest in Capello is that he had run a million point uh, pick and rolls with Harden and he showed up as Trey, the guy that's trying to, to uh, build a pick and roll off based off it's around it was a partner who has uh, just an endless amount of reps. Well, Galoo had that to offer a Kongu too. And when we saw this, this here, for example, Kongu doing good work in the pick and roll, that's not unrelated to the fact that last season that there was a, a heavy intentional pairing that Nate talked about often about getting those two guys working together. So there, there is, even if sometimes we'd scratch our heads, like why is he in the game right now? Or why is he playing instead of that person? Or what's the, what is Nate going with here apart from 
resonates with loving veterans, <laughs> you know, yes. it, the, there is, I think, some real benefit that will last beyond his tenure with the Hawks, especially if that ends now, uh, that I feel like uh, is worth kind of appreciating. For sure. I'm glad you brought that up because I think if you want to say uh, that is uh, an overlooked thing, especially with the Kongwu, but across the board, I mean, you know, Trey has always embraced Lou as a vet, um, kind of showing him the ropes in some respects. Obviously, Trey is kind of past that point now where he needs that, but still, people can kind of forget this. Trey's extremely young still, especially last year when they brought, they brought in Rondo and Trey, uh, sorry, Rondo and Lou in one season. That's two guys, you know, love him or hate him or whatever, like two veterans behind Trey that could teach him some stuff and walk through some stuff. And uh, Lou is still beloved in that locker room by all accounts. And I, I can tell you, I can relay, relay that for sure. Kongwu credited him by name several times. That's a great sort of point to point out there overall. And I think the thing is, like, you know, you can never know what Travis is thinking. I do wonder if he was one of the guys when Travis kind of went on that rant about bringing everybody back midseason that he maybe was talking about Lou on some level. Uh, I'm not sure if that was the best on court fit this year. Um, and that's not the worst. I mean, look, listen, it was, that was always part of the uh, calculus is that they probably gave him because they could, they had bird rights. They gave him probably $5 million and they didn't need to do that necessarily, but they wanted to give him that safety blanket. And the problem is you kind of referenced it there. Uh, Nate really loves veterans and a guy like Lou is just uh, sort of a catnip for Nate. Uh, he's going to play him. He's going to trust him. And for the most part, Lou is still Lou, just like 20% worse this year. Like Lou still has strengths. He, he, he gets to the free throw line. He, he doesn't, he doesn't turn the ball over. He's a good shooter. It's just that he like basically as his career went on, especially the last year, maybe year plus his two point effectiveness is kind of just gone now. Like he basically just doesn't go to the rim at all anymore. Um, he's more of a perimeter jump shooter and that's still okay. But when, when you factor that in sort of a downtick in his defense, downtick in his playmaking um, and defensively, it was already kind of rough before that. It just was kind of a steady decline and there were certain matches where he really helped you. I mean, you talked about it earlier on, episode, I think even with me, but uh, in the playoffs at times last year, he really helped them. Like that, that was a situation where having that second guy who could run a pick and roll and do some stuff was very helpful. The problem was he wasn't quite as good this year. And then, you know, trying to play him with Trey or not, you know, all that, all those dynamics have been talked about ad nauseum. He just wasn't quite as good. And then by the end of the year, he really, he was banged up. I think he missed like six of the last 10 games of the regular season and then didn't play at all in the playoffs. And, you know, by that point it was the right decision. And I think they probably could have played him less. In fact, you sort of alluded to it, but I think he played more than I thought he might play this year, especially when you factored in the presence of Delon, uh, who was healthy for the really, really all season long. If you told me preseason that Delon Wright was going to be was going to be healthy um, for the most part, and Lou was still going to play fifty six games and uh, you know what what was it eight hundred minutes, that would have felt high to me just because of all the factors in play. And I think it's because they kind of just chose Lou in that role and they played obviously Delon as we'll get to is kind of a more of a combo-ish guy. He could play a little bit of the two, but they definitely defaulted to Lou for too long. And I, but, I, but I also get it. Like that, that safety blanket uh, notion, I know people are, fr- I was frustrated by it. And I said as much on the podcast numerous times, like they overplayed him in my mind, but I do understand why he does bring a lot of, even, even now, even in a, in a sort of a reduced state, he still brings strengths that are valuable to the table. It's just that they got a little bit too comfortable with that, I think. We'll have more with myself and Glenn coming up in a moment, but first a word from our friends at Prize Picks. If you're looking for a daily fantasy option this year, do you check out the orbiting app at Prize Picks? Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it. I know that you will too. It's so easy to use. That's a big part of the appeal of Prize Picks. 
All you have to do is pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections. And if you do that, what if 10 times on any entry? It's just you get to project numbers and an entire entry can be made just a minute or less. It's just that easy and timely. It's great for people like me that are always in a hurry trying to sort of knock stuff out. And Prize Picks is very convenient through that lens. It's also safe and they offer fast withdrawal of the Prize Picks. They offer props on anything you can think of. That includes points and rebounds, assists, even steals on the basketball side. They have mixed sports entries as well. So if you like MMA or soccer or baseball or hockey, Pair it all together and use those skills at the exact same time in the same space at Prize Picks. And for a limited time, there's an exclusive offer for our listeners, and it's actually a no-brainer. $50 for free if you're player in your first Prize Picks entry scores even a single point, but you have to use the promo code MBA to get access to that offer. That's right, it's exclusively offered to locked on fans. Sign up today, use the promo code MBA, $50 for free. If you're player in your first entry has even a single point. Check it all out today at Prize Picks. Yeah, and I and it's interesting when I think about uh, a guy uh, like him uh, at the stage he is, you know, I've been sharing some uh, views, uh, takeaways from the playoffs we're watching, right? Is that, for example, Boston just doesn't have enough ball handling for what they really need to kind of go at um, to deal with what Miami's kind of throwing at them. But that doesn't mean that you take a guy like Lou and make him uh, necessarily a, an automatic rotation guy. But when, like, but especially when Boston was out, like a smarts out with an injury, right? They are, they have to play Peyton Pritchard, who is just a, a huge uh, liability on defense. And not that Lou would take, you know, solve that side, of it, but but just <laughs> yeah. having one more really good ball handler to turn to can help you navigate some really tough minutes. And we saw, you know, in in one of the games, Boston versus Miami, Miami Boston had a ton of turnovers. And that's really what kind of determined that specific game. Um, but I, I've seen, and then I'll sometimes like watching even Dallas play, you know, the workload for Luca is so enormous and just having another ball handler that you could turn to for even three or four minutes just to, you know, help with that. Uh, it, it, now that doesn't, that person doesn't have to be a Lou Williams, but I'm, sure. I'm starting to feel like with the evolution of the three and D concept that maybe collectively we're, we've, reach the point where we're underhanding uh sorry under uh appreciating the value of ball handling right and and that's what i think sometimes when you look at spot 12 13 14 whatever in that range having another guy who could just help you handle the basketball against real pressure defense can be can be valuable and and i felt like there were times you know in the last two if we're talking the last two seasons there were times loot helped close a game just because they needed a ball, another ball handler on the court to, to, to help drill, uh, during the shot clock, not turn the ball over. So, so you know, it's if if he moves on, I, I, I think there's still something to kind of keep an eye on there around how do they replace that value that maybe only shows up in five games a year in a regular season. But, you know, five games can swing that you can matter. Two, or, two or three spots in the standing. So that's yeah. a labor that really, really marginal point. But it, it's, it's something that I think is becoming more obvious as – Teams that can really ratchet up the defensive pressure are, are of recent seasons are, are doing really, really well. And I think that that, that that part of the roster matters. Oh, yeah, it does. And, uh, you know, not to, again, act like this is gospel, but I think that was part of the reason why Nate was hesitant to just turn over the backup point guard reins to DeLon is because this roster in particular, it's a lot easier to have DeLon right, as much as I love him, as your backup point guard, if you have a wing that can handle the ball. Because uh, Delon is not, for all of his strengths, he's not the greatest ball handler creator type at the at the point of attack. It's just not what he does best. He can do it. He's not a terrible ball handler. He's a, he's still an NBA level guard, but that's not his strength. 
And I think if you want to be charitable to not handing it over to DeLon at times, that might be part of it. Like if you're putting him out there with DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter, and yeah, Herter's a pretty decent ball handler, but Hunter's not at this point, as we talked about a lot on this on the show already, or you're playing him with TLC or whoever else. Like there wasn't a lot of ball handling on the wing to help out. So if nothing else, you know, you know, Luke can bring the ball to the floor and not kill you, not turn the ball over. And that uh, it's a pretty low ceiling in some in some respects, but it's a high floor in terms of just giving him the ball and getting out of the way. So I think that's definitely part of the calculus. And we can talk about that with the lawn as well. But I, I'm glad you point, sort of pointed that out. Obviously, you know, looking ahead, if they were to bring the back and we'll talk about that, maybe that guy is Sharif Cooper. Maybe that guy is another veteran on a minimum contract. I'm not sure what their plan would be, but uh, I don't think that they're just going to do as much as I love Delon. I, I think the plan probably won't be uh, only Delon right behind Trey Young on, on if, if, if they were to sign him for next year. They'll probably have a more prototypical, probably smaller, more on ball guard on the roster somewhere, whether it be Sharif or someone, just because it gives you options, especially if, you know, what's to say, let's say Trey misses two weeks or whatever. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll probably want to start the lawn right and play in 30 minutes a game, but you want to have a guy behind him that can run a pick and roll and kind of be that backup to back, back up to the backup, whether it's Shreve or otherwise. And there is value in having that guy because Delon is kind of a non-traditional backup point guard. Yeah, agreed. And Delon is a safe ball handler. He doesn't turn the yeah. ball over or this at all. But to your point, he doesn't create leverage on the defense either. You know, yes. kind of creating at the point. He's not aggressive top. either. He's, he's very – that's one of the things about the line. He's, he's not an aggressive uh, scorer. He's, he isn't trying to get to the rim a ton. Like, he, when he does it, it's actually not too bad. We saw this year, as we'll probably get into that. But, uh, you know, his usage rate is very low for a guard in that role. Yeah. Yeah, and then in addition to that, I think if the team made the line their full-time backup point guard, they, they're punting on his versatility being kind of his primary value, right? Yep. Because you you have to have him play that spot and uh, the, like if the Hawks' best minutes in that Miami series were like all the Delon minutes. Like it is, yeah. A, he had like I, what, have, a I, have the, I have those stats by the way. I was gonna say yeah. I have those stats. Let me let me just see, let me tell people now what those go. stats were. It's a very very small sample size. I want to be clear about that. It's only five games. They lost the series in five, but with Delon Wright on the floor in the playoffs against Miami, and series they lost again. They lost the series four one. When Delon Wright played, they had a plus seven point nine net rating in the series. So they basically dominated the Delon Wright minutes in the series. When Delon was off the floor, the Hawks had a drum roll, please, minus thirty eight point five net rating with Delon off the floor in the playoffs. Now it's obviously a small sample size, but that is absolutely insane. So, so to your point, their best minutes were all of what Delon did, but it was it was Delon with Trey, Delon without Trey. It didn't matter if Delon was on the floor; they, they had success, and that yeah. wouldn't always be the case. But man, it was uh, it was truly wild to see like the disparity and how much he was a, a huge positive factor for them. And it won't always again, it won't always be like that. But honestly, the season long numbers were not like that. But you know, not a coincidence to me that their numbers for the season were better when he played than when he didn't. He's a he's a positive player. Yeah, and and I I made me go look at the regular season and. Um, I, what I have here with Trey in the regular season as a two-man lineup plus six point six, Delon and Bogey plus six point two, Delon and Herder plus eight point eight, which tells you in, in my mind, or it supports the idea that him be, treating him as a versatile player, you can kind of drop in where you need him in any given matchup or game. Yep. Missing a guy on the wing because of injury or whatever, that's the way to go. I think that's I think that's exactly right. His and he, and to further support that, you've already mentioned this, but he just seems kind of uninterested in running the offense for you, you know, and maybe he knows yeah. his limitation, you know, maybe he understands that, you know, but I, I remember joking one time on Twitter and one game where he was especially passive 
that there was a, a technical foul uh, or a clear path or something like that. And he had to go shoot the free throws. And I joked on Twitter, it's like, oh, DeLon's finally going to be forced to try to score the, the basketball now because well, he's going to the line on a technical foul. It, it's, so, it it's so crazy. I want to I back you up more with that. Like, you know, you and I cover the whole league and we watch the whole league. And, you know, DeLon's never been a high usage guy. But this was by far his career low in usage this year for the Hawks. So it was like he's, yeah. he's never been this guy who would do what we just talked about, like would demand. But it was even more so stark when in Atlanta, like especially early in the season, he just did not want to do anything. And that was the knock against him. And even I, even I as someone who is very pro DeLon, would admit that there were times when it, it could be maddening. When he's your lead guard, he just doesn't have any interest in doing anything toward the rim or do anything. It is a little bit tough to build around that. And I think that's part of why a lot of teams, you know, he was in – Dallas, he was in Detroit, he was in Sacramento, he was in Toronto, and there was always, I think it was Mike Price, somebody pointed this out during the playoffs, like, there was always this push and pull with DeLon, where early in the season, coaches get frustrated with him, because he won't just do backup point guard stuff, but then eventually, he'll remind you of all this stuff that he does so well, and the coaches love him by the end of the season, and that's what happened again this time, when they had to, they kind of had to play him, but it turns out, like, look at all the stuff that he does, and it, it really is crazy, he had a 10% usage rate this year that is comically low for a guard especially a guy who was playing real minutes without trey at times like if he's playing with trey all the time that wouldn't be it would still be really low but it would be more reasonable as many minutes as he played played without trey or or without lou that is it's a crazy number like no one no point guard ever has that lower usage rate it's crazy yeah yeah for sure Uh, and uh, you know given Larry is in his career. I don't think anyone should really ever accept that to change. I mean, could he no. mar- marginally improve? I mean, when when he's a willing shooter, it really helps the team. The, uh, and that's not usually an issue when he's spotting up. But it showed up a few times this year where it's like, man, that, that's a shot you have to take. Shoot it. Um, but then, like, in the playoffs, like his activity on the offensive glass, is, it's only a handful of plays, but those are, like, energizing plays that he gives you. And and I know that, like, you know, maybe uh, fans who don't watch quite the way that we do might not notice, but just he does so many little things to help the team. What, one example is, and I remember, you know, uh, with my age being coached around the fundamentals, you know, everybody's having flashbacks to uh, Hoosiers. And it's like, it, it wasn't quite that. <laughs> but, but, like, when as a guard, when your big man picks up the, his dribble earlier and gets stuck, what did they teach you as a guard? Run to him and let him hand the ball to you. DeLon does little stuff like that that really no one in the league does anymore all the time, just helping a teammate get out of trouble, bringing some assistance uh, as a help defender, helping kind of steer the – push the ball back, you know, in the other direction of the defensive half court. And those things never show up in the stat sheet, except maybe that pops up in, the, in that rating and, and, yeah. and things like that. But it, it's really all of that, which is where oftentimes when the things are going probably for the Hawks, they're not getting enough stuff like that, you know, uh, especially across this season, which is why, one of the reasons that you and I um, share an affinity for him is that <laughs> he doesn't care about how many shots he gets. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we want him to care a little more about yeah, shoot, that. But... Shoot more, Delon, please. It's not even, yeah. <laughs> but, but so, so many, I don't know if I'd call them winning plays, but helpful plays, things that just help everyone on the court, um, uh, get out of trouble spots and get back into kind of some continuity of what they need on, on both ends of the court. And, you know, and especially when you have young wings like the Hawks have had the last few years, that can be helpful when one of them gets, makes a mistake and gets into trouble. He just has 
an ability to kind of go help dig out of that trouble when he's on the court. And I, and I, I specifically kind of appreciate uh, that kind of contribution. We'll have more with myself and Glenn in a moment, but first a word from our friends at rockauto.com. And the auto world right now has so many makes and models that it's actually impossible to find all the car parts that you want for your car or your truck at the local chain store or dealership. Instead, you can check out rockauto.com because even if you actually had those parts at the dealership or at the local place down the street, you actually have to deal with these people behind the counter. They don't want to sell you what they want to sell you. Instead, make it actually easier for you and more convenient for you and also cheaper for you by checking out rockauto.com at home or in your pocket on the go. It's really a much better option overall. And why spend more for the exact same parts at a chain store or dealership when you can actually get the exact same parts for less at rockauto.com? Rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving customers for more than, two get, more than two decades at this point in time. And rockauto's prices are reliably low and they're the same for each and every customer, no matter who you are. They have all the stuff that you possibly could need for your car. That includes brake parts and tail lamps, motor oil, even carpet. And what the website right now is rockauto.com. Check it all out to have everything that you could possibly look for in a car all in one place. And when you get there, write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you to them. Check it, check it out today at rockauto.com. They have amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. It's worth noting, too, this year that while we just picked on him for not shooting enough, probably, he did shoot quite well. Like, he actually had his career best numbers as a shooter. Um, 38% from three. It is small volume. You want him to shoot a little bit more, but certainly an acceptable number. That's one of the, one of the knocks on the lawn dating back to his pre-draft coming out of Utah was, like, he just didn't shoot well from three. And he's become, he's come a long way as a shooter. He still needs time. He's not going to take a lot of contested shots. Like, it is what it is. But you have to at least pretend to guard him. He can't just be left alone. That's a positive. Even though teams are going to play off him, and they definitely will – but I think that's a positive as well. He was efficient overall. Um, I want to at least throw this out there too. He was really one of the only guys um, that was a, was, was viewed as a plus defender in the metrics across the board, whether, whether, whether the simple metrics or the advanced metrics, your EPMs, your Raptors, whatever. That is backed up clearly in the eye test. In fact, um, I'm not even sure that I buy this, but Raptor, the 538 metric, had as like a top 90 player in the league this year. Um, you know, that's probably a little bit lofty for me even, but like it does, it does kind of tell you that like, you know, he does a lot of little stuff, the the winning plays, the the positive plays. And um, like you kind of alluded to, I wanted to just say this plainly, he is kind of built in the lab for me to love him. I, it, is, it is one of those things where he just does the little things. And I I try to push those things actively on the show. So people probably roll their eyes listening to the podcast. But uh, he does just the stuff that helps you win games that's not always going to jump off the page, which you, which you did a good job of laying out. I do want to, though, ask you, like, what you make of him as a defender, because clearly we kind of know he's a good defender. That's kind of just a broadly known sentiment. He's been their best. Uh, really, we talked about Hunter on the on, on our discussion of him. Uh, Hunter was their best wing defender, and he's a guy. But I think Delon was their best perimeter defender overall this season. I think Delon was better than than DeAndre was defensively for the season. If you want to, they're obviously very different roles. But he is a genuine positive. What I won't say in my in my view, I don't think Delon is like uh marcus smart like he's not that level guy he's not that like game changing game wrecking defender but uh clearly he's a, a genuine positive for a team that just does not have very many of those guys uh i, I kind of shudder to think what it, what, what it might have been like defensively at time without the this year because like he would be the guy that throw on point guards or whatever and uh, i wonder what you make of him defensively because as we discussed like maybe bringing him back and they have the bird rights and all that stuff like they kind of need someone like the if they don't have the yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I think you're right. I think he was their best on ball slash point of attack defender this year. I don't think that's what you want for your roster construction, you know, because yeah. to your point, he's not uh, at that level. But what makes it kind of tricky to figure out, like, well, what do you want to do with Delon is when it when he's one 
player away from the ball, he is so disruptive, right? Yep. He, I like. I mean, it would be a super nerdy thing to do, but if we were to rank like I don't know top twenty five <laughs> guys and digs, like coming one man off the ball down to to dig on on the ball handler, stunting on the ball handler to disrupt the play. I mean, and so it's it's it, you know it kind of reminds me of an extreme example. Kevin and I were having a conversation about how the Bucks were missing PJ Tucker this year, and a few times in the playoffs they put Giannis on the ball. When last year, PJ guarded Trey, like I felt like that whole series, and Trey guarded Chris Paul that whole series. And in my mind, like Giannis is the best help defender in the history of the sport, right? He's just so disruptive. Now, obviously, this isn't that level, but that's a uh, maybe something that listeners can kind of visualize around the fact that, I mean, nobody on the team is better at jumping passing lanes, having great intuition around when uh, a, a pass was going to be offline just enough to even get a fingertip on it and create that deflection and then a turnover. Uh, and then like we even saw like in the Miami series, like so many times he would come dig down on hero, you know, you know someone who's not an A plus ball handler in traffic and kind of come know how to dislodge that ball. So because of the fact that as you and I have well discussed that the Hawks were lacking so much at point of attack defense, they had to use him in that role quite a bit this season not ideal when when you know, you're dealing with a team that has kind of a big wing that is their primary creator because he just doesn't have that size. He plays bigger than he is. But ideally, you want to put him on the court with someone else who can take that, and you can let him be that ideally. If, it's funny because smart teams will not let him be the guy that's one defender away from the ball. <laughs> they they just smart enough to go park him on the other side of the court. Um, but that I want him disrupting and helping at the rim, like it, which he's uniquely good at for a guy his size and as a guard, yeah. uh, digging, stunting, jumping, passing lanes, creating deflections. And you know the Hawks didn't, you know, weren't a high volume transition team this year. But when he was on the court, you just saw them getting a little bit more of that in, in ways that were helpful. So yeah, I mean, good enough at the point of attack. But in my mind, that's probably not where you're going to get the most value from him. And again, across the season, you're going to need some of both, and that's where his versatility shows up. But I think it's important to note how helpful he is away from the ball as a help defender, too. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out that specifically because he is really uh, habit-creating. And uh, I just pulled this while we were talking. Um, he led the team in deflections per 36 minutes, which is not not, not a huge surprise um, by a decent margin. Actually, the only guy in his stratosphere was Cam Reddish, who was not on the team by the end of the season, obviously. And Cam famously is a pretty good off-ball playmaker. That's probably his best trait in terms of just his raw skills right now. Um, and Delon isn't as long as Cam Reddish is, but managed to get he, he gets his hands on his, his hands on the ball all the time. That's that's the thing about Delon. He's just always in the right spot making the right play, making the right dig, using his hands. He's very active. Just when even not even sometimes uh, guys can get there and they just don't use their hands. Like they don't like, you know, they don't smack the ball. They don't, they don't smack. He, he does not have that problem. He does. Uh, he's kind of always around and kind of bothering people being in the right place. And I think, yeah, ideally you would want him to be in that kind of ball hawking role. Um, it's interesting to have him like, you know, there's this thought process of, um, like you don't build your team around who to pair with the lawn. Right. If that, if that makes sense. But, um, you know, Playing him with Trey does make a lot of sense in some ways. Now, but what you just said also is worth pointing out in that if he's playing with Trey, he does help Trey to make up for some of Trey's deficiencies. But then you have to use DeLon as your on-ball guy because that's not going to be what Trey's job is. So there's a little bit of push-pull there. 
Um, and I, I do wonder as we uh, sort of talk about this before we get out of here, like, let's say, at least for me, the only reason why you would not look to bring DeLon right back if you're Tony Wrestler and Travis Schlank is money. That'd be the only reason why you wouldn't, because he's a guy that, as you are always, uh, you love to point this out, and I think you're right about this, there are, is always so much value in having guys that don't care how many shots they get and don't care about how much they play. You know, DeLon Wright wants to play. Obviously, he was frustrated during the, during the season and kind of said as much about his role and, like, not knowing what he was going to, like, how much he was going to play. And then he, he was out of rotation famously in March for, like, two days or whatever that was. But at, he's not going to ever give you a problem, if that makes sense. DeLon Wright is a pro. He's 30 years old. He knows the deal. And, like, he can play defense, all that stuff we just talked about. So, clearly, you want to have him back in a vacuum. It's just kind of a money a money thing. But if you do bring him back, like, what else do you do? We talked about, like, having that other ball handler. But, like, what role is what, what role is he best in for the Hawks? Like, knowing that this is a team that has Trey Young on it, you kind of know the, for the most part, the principles, even though some of them might be traded, I guess, possibly. Uh, Trey won't be. What role do you bring him back on? Like, do you go into the season thinking DeLon's going to play 15 minutes of backup point guard for you every night? Or do you want to have him in more of a hybrid role like we talked about? Yeah, I mean, I think hybrid role. And it, and it's one of those things where um, it might be, you know, kind of matchup based. If you're going up against a team that plays a big point guard, like in the last five years, think about James Harden, right? DeLon is a guy you might want to use 20 minutes on Harden and that just because he has the size and the defensive competency to to give you that. If it's someone else, um, you might, you might think, okay, we're going to play our other backup point guard, you know, in this game. So it might be a a kind of a mix and match thing, but leveraging his versatility. I I can't imagine them having DeLon back and not having one more. And you mentioned this, you know, alluded to this earlier, not having one more point guard that you're willing to play whenever. Right, yep. like every game, if you need to, that is Sharif ready for that? I don't know. Right, uh, yeah. might it be a, a veteran that's on capable veteran who's uh, a vet minimum guy? You're 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 Ish Smith or somewhere like that, like yeah. like a vet minimum even, Yeah, and maybe not even guaranteed past you know second week of January when sure. you hope that Sharif is fully ready to kind of carry that that role the rest of the season. And so I I would have a hard time seeing them bring DeLon back and still not having a guy for at least the first two and a half months of the season, whatever that you will, will, will are willing to play every single game. The, yeah. the thing that makes that will swing, I think what the plan is for DeLon is how much are the Hawks potentially willing to play more minutes with a small lineup, right? Cause that's where he really can show the value. So imagine lineups, you know, let's say Collins at the five Hunter at the four, and then you're trying to mix and match say Herder, Trey and Delon slides into that lineup really, really well and gives you a lot because he's a good rebounder for his size. He's a versatile defender. He's a good team defender, um, and he's and he's pretty strong. So like stronger than Herder, for example. And you know, take yeah. Herder off and put Bogey on or or whatever. And so you know, he gives them the kind of guard slash wing depth you need to be able to slide to smaller lineups for longer stretches. And that's where having another point guard. Uh, that can play while you're using DeLon more as a wing in those smaller lineups makes a big deal. Now, if the Hawks are thinking we don't want to, it, I, mean, I mean, it would be a change from what they showed towards the end of this past season when they did tend to kind of play smaller. I mean, we know we talked about the fact that yeah, Gallo was out and JC was out. So they had to slide down to the four. Does that mean, does that mean, does that mean they're interested in that? I don't know. Or was that out of necessity? <laughs> but if they were like, you know, the way the league is, league is swinging, we've got to be able to put smaller lineups on the court at times to match up or to get what we're looking for or whatever. 
I think DeLon gives you a ton of versatility from a line of construction standpoint if he's not um, kind of cemented as only being able to be your backup point guard because of the way the roster is constructed. So I would stay away from having him be the full-time 18 minutes a game, whatever, backup point guard. I want him freed up to be able to play other positions and in lineups where you can kind of um, modify uh, what kind of uh, lineup you're trying to put on the court at any given time. So I'd, I'd look for the versatility personally. I tend to agree with you, and I think it would be a little bit easier to slot DeLon into that role if you also had a player the Hawks don't have, which is that, like, you know, that sixth, seventh man, undersized combo guard scorer type. Like, they don't have that guy. You know, a lot of teams have that guy. Obviously, at the high end, talk about, like, your Tyler Heroes or we want to, whatever you want to say, but a lot of teams have that 6'3 scoring guard that's not really a point guard, and if you played a lot of right with that guy, it actually makes a lot of sense. But the Hawks don't have that guy. They have full-size wings. And, you know, Herder does a little bit of secondary creation stuff. Bogey, Bogey, can do it. Bogey can do a little bit of that as well. But I do kind of agree with you that, like, there's a school of thought that I've even heard out there even at times from, from fans or people that I think are smart. Um, maybe you just treat DeLon like he's a wing. Like, maybe you just basically just say, all right, DeLon Wright can play point guard for us if we have to. But roster building-wise, DeLon Wright is going to be our fourth wing this year. And – I kind of get that too because he is he has wing size. You know, he's legitimately what like six five, like yeah, six five, like one ninety, two hundred pounds. He's got shooting guard size at minimum, and he's got shooting guard rebounding, and he's got shooting guard defense. Like he can play that role, and then also that frees you up to use some capital on backup point guard, whatever whatever that might be, whether it be Sharif or whatever. And also, if you get an injury or you get a situation in the matchup where okay, Delon, tonight makes sense for you to play some point guard. He can just do that for you, but you don't have to plan on him doing that. So um, it's a really good thing. That's the thing I want to stress. I think you agree. Like his versatility is a very positive thing. It, it's also kind of, I'm not sure what the word is, challenging or whatever to like decide what you want to do with it because of uh, the presence of Trey, number one, because Trey's going to play 35 minutes a night and he showed he's your best player, all that stuff. But you, you kind of have that locked in. You know what Trey does. You know what he can do. And DeLon Wright is not a guy that is good enough that you're going to make decisions about your, your roster building based on DeLon Wright. So it's like, it's almost like this extra piece. And that's interesting because he's going to make some real money. I mean, that's the thing about this. We haven't talked about a lot on this between you and I is that DeLon was making like $9 million. I think I'll probably make less than that if I had to guess on his next, on, on his next contract, but it won't be the minimum. Like DeLon's going to make some money. So if you're going to pay him, he's going to cost you some money. And then you got to build around that and the luxury tax and all that stuff. I'll be intrigued by it. I don't really know what their plan is. I think by all indications, Nate does not view DeLon as a point guard necessarily. Like he's, he, he played him there, but kind of reluctantly. That was kind of the elephant in the room uh, for, uh, through all the jokes about Nate being Nate pulling him for, for the rotation. Like, I don't think Nate views DeLon as a point guard. I really don't. I think he, can, I think, I think he thinks that he can play there, and we saw that. But I, I wonder if they almost go into next season, if they were to bring him back, just kind of viewing him as a wing. And like going from there. And I wouldn't mind that because he does a lot of things that we talked about before. He's low usage, but he fits well in a lot of lineups. And then defensively, uh, for all the talk about how much they need to be better on, on the perimeter, he's the one guy that you knew this year was going to be a good defender on the floor and on the perimeter. So it's like getting rid of that guy actively. I mean, if he leaves to sign a mid-level contract with somebody else, like what you got to throw your hands up. It is what it is. But if they can bring him back at a reasonable rate, you kind of just have to do it and figure it out. I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know we may be 
you know, pretty well above consensus, depending on who you're talking to. Well, we're certainly but higher like, on higher on him than usual. I, I get that. But I do understand. But like in a vacuum, like giving him like even a whole four years at the full MLE, I think that that's fine, right? It won't it won't cost that though. I don't think it will cost that. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, but. yeah. I mean, I agree. Unless like unless the team is like all we have is MLE and we need exactly. The, I mean, I would be shocked if that's what he gets. Like, yeah, it shouldn't two, be. It shouldn't be that much. I mean, maybe more. More realistic is like a team might go two years at full MLE, not. But the, this four, is a, this is know? a spot though. Like to your point, this is a spot. Like he's not as good as PJ Tucker. I want to say that out loud, just to be clear. But this is the spot where a lot of teams that are facing tax concerns will try to not pay that guy. Like yep. he's not good enough to be like a guy you have to sign. And Milwaukee's a good example recently, and they kind of had to squeeze, and it was like, all right, well, we can't pay this much luxury tax, so we have to cut a guy. Maybe that's maybe maybe he's the casualty for the Hawks this year. That's that's definitely in play. If if Tony wants to stay on, if, if Tony goes to Travis, no matter what he said publicly, and says, Travis, please do not go over the luxury tax. It's hard to keep the lawn under that circumstances. It really is because he's yeah. going to make more than the minimum, and that's a spot where if you had to, you could squint and be like, all right, we have Trey, we have Herder, like we can't we can't pay you. That's tough, though. And if you're a fan, put yourself in the fan shoes. And I try to do that sometimes. Like, you shouldn't accept that. Like, fans should not right. sh- fans should not be like, okay, well, we can't spend the money. No, fans should want to just make your team the best. And if right. the team is the best, it involves the line around the team. I'm not saying he has to be the, the sixth man. But if he's on your roster, your roster is better than if he's not on the team. Yeah, I and I think he may be, like, the real swing player in all of this in terms of where they are in relationship to the tax and things like that. Yeah. But I, I know we don't. I know that um, I'm not the right person to kind of get in depth to talk about all that stuff. You can do I, it. I, it's I, okay. I'm, you know, I I have a fine understanding of that stuff. But <laughs> all of the all of the 88 variations of this or that, I'm not I'm not in that depth. But for me, like, let's say they bring Delon back on two years at seven and a half per year, right? Two years, fifteen million dollars, right? Sure. And that that has them starting the season over the tax, like you know. The real goal is to decide that, okay, for, for a lot of teams is by the time we get to the trade deadline, we need to figure out if we're good enough to justify staying over the tax or finding a way to get under. If that's what they do with DeLon, they will have no trouble trading DeLon at the deadline if they're like, oh, we're we're on track for 47 wins. That's not good enough to be in the tax. So we've got to make some move to get back under uh, so that we end up being, uh, uh, you know, not a tax team this year. Then DeLon is easy to move in a scenario like that in my view so i my hope is that helps them start the season with the line on the roster i not that i would be rooting for to see him traded but i think if travis is trying to tell tony hey we can start you know at this point and maintain <laughs> his favorite phrase maintain our flexibility to get yep. under if that's if our season's not going as well as we want if I had to guess how I think they're they're gonna they're, what their cap sheets gonna look to start the season is I think it's probably like that Maybe into the tax with uh, a really realistic path to get uh, back under, and Delon may be the swing guy. And he might that. be. Yeah, it's I. We can wrap up this pot, this conversation, but I do think that he is a guy that will command some money from someone, but I don't really know how much. I tried to figure this out and talking to people around the league. I think he's going to make less annually than he did on his last contract. That's about all I can say with confidence. It'll be more than the minimum and less than that which is a pretty big range. That's like from three to $8 million. Like that's a pretty big range for a guy like DeLon Wright. Right. And it kind of, it just takes one team. And I think a lot of teams will know that he can be a playoff player for you. And then yeah. I'm not saying he, you, you don't want to start him. You don't want to be able to play him 30 minutes a night, but there are a lot of playoff teams that we've watched between the two of us this year that could have used DeLon Wright. 
in a lot of different matchups in a lot of different ways. So yeah, yeah I'll be interested to see what they do. And he said he wants to stay. Um, obviously, players just say that. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if Delon just actively loves it here and wants to stay. I don't know that to be true. Right. But that's another swing factor too, because he's made some money in his career. Like he's not—he's not a super billionaire guy right now, but he's made—he's made some money. So maybe he wants to stay for a million dollars less in Atlanta. I don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, yeah. But I—I I w- I would want to sign him if I—if I'm the Hawks, if yeah. I'm Travis, he just does a lot of things for you that um, are very helpful. And and to your point earlier, and my points at times. The versatility is very useful because he also unlocks other stuff for you. He doesn't have to play point guard. He doesn't have to play shooting guard. He doesn't have the ball in his hands. Like he does a lot of things that a lot of guys um, sort of uh, what's what to say magnify other guys' strengths. If he if you have to just bury him in the corner, that's okay. He's okay with that. Yeah, right. And I mean, and just to, and we're wrapping here, but just imagine how helpful he would be, for example, on a Brooklyn roster, right? Oh yeah. Trying to integrate Ben Simmons. Who wants to be on the ball? Delon playing off. Delon taking whatever defensive assignment, uh, especially if like Bruce Brown prices himself out of Brooklyn, right? Future Philly, Hulk Bruce Brown. Uh, everybody, <laughs> everybody wants everybody wants Bruce Brown now in the Hawks. So. Everybody, everybody, yeah. And Philly with Harden and Embiid, a guy who will defend point guards and and otherwise kind of stand in the corner. Kind of, I mean, you could go on and on. Not like how great would he have been on the Lakers this year? You know, and so there are teams <laughs> like there, <laughs> there are serious teams that like could easily look at him and say, "Man, that is exactly what we're looking for." To even put in our seven man or eight man rotation at the end of the season because you have who knows what Brooklyn looks like actually going to the next sure. season. Kyrie, KD, you know, on and on and on. I mean, there. I mean, the lot could say, "I want to be on a contender," and yeah. Sorry, Hawks fans, but that probably means he's not in Atlanta this season, at least, right? Um, but I hope that I hope they find a way to bring him back. But it's easy to see serious teams looking at him as a piece that could really make a difference, especially as someone who had they who they had this past season gets priced out, and that's just something to kind of keep an eye on. Right. I mean, we, I said this before, but he's their only he's the only free agent on the Hawks roster, unless Gallo becomes a free agent. He's not yet a free agent. Delon is the only guy where he is definitely not a minimum player. Everybody else that's hitting the market for the Hawks from TLC to Gorgie to Knox and whoever else, those guys might sign for the minimum. They might be out of the league. Like there, there's some guys on this roster. That might, Delon is the only guy that they have that a, a decision on other than the Gallo decision. That's a bigger one that you can't just expect him to come back on the minimum. He's not going to do that. I don't think like you're going to have to give him an investment. And again, he, they have this bird rights which just for in short version, the Hawks could pay him whatever they want to pay him. If the Hawks wanted to give him the max, they could, they're not gonna, but they could. Uh, so keep that in mind. It'll be kind of, it's not, but, but at the same time, I'm going to this too. It's never one-sided. You kind of have to realize what the team wants, what the player wants. And Delon as a, a guy who is unrestricted could just decide I want to go somewhere else. And that's the end of it. So we'll see. Uh, I will, I'll report on the nuance if we get that nuance, but uh, we are both fans of Delon, right? I think Delon is undervalued. I think he's a very, very useful and quality NBA player. We've done a decent job, I think, conveying that on this podcast. But uh, hopefully, if you have more questions, you can direct them at Glenn. I've talked about Delon a lot, but you can just ask Glenn all your Delon right questions from this point forward. I, I can I confirm all of Brad's uh, observations and views on Delon right. Uh, well, thank you, Glenn, for another uh, another time on this podcast. Please uh, plug what you got going on. If people are watching on YouTube, you can already see your Twitter handle on the screen. YouTube is a very nice platform for that. But uh, if everybody else is just listening to the podcast, where, where can they find your work? Yeah, we're shifting into draft coverage of P3 Hoops. I'll be helping out with that. 
Uh, I'm enjoying having a little time now that there aren't three games a night uh, yes. to dig into this draft class some. So hopefully in about three weeks' time, I'll have my arms around that. Um, so Peter Hughes, follow, me there, follow our work there at Willis underscore Glenn on Twitter. And then um, uh, ATL29, you know, Kevin and I are still kind of working. And as we get closer to the draft, I'm sure we'll have some uh, more um, more episodes kind of focused around what the Hawks might be looking to do from a from a draft standpoint. So, uh, yeah, that's where you can uh, catch basically all my content. Check out ATL29. Check out Peachtree Hoops. Check out all of Glenn's work. It is fantastic. And I do appreciate all the time. Again, on the show, Glenn, as for everyone else, please subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Follow me if you'd like to. We, uh, I usually tweet random stuff uh, every once in a while about basketball and baseball and other sports. But thanks so much, everybody, and we'll see you all next time.